Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. It's a busy week, not just in golf, but in sports in general, of course, with the Super Bowl going on in Las Vegas. The PG Tour, of course, has its own Super Bowl party in Phoenix, biggest crowds of the year. Live has its own party as well in Vegas, the second event of its season. Uh, the tournament ends on Saturday in Sin City, so it's not too uh, conflict with the big game. Rex? First of all, how are you? Second of all, which event are you most looking forward to seeing this week? Uh, well, I'll be flying during the Super Bowl, so I won't be watching that. Tough. Which is kind of sad, going up to Connecticut for the week. So uh, uh, that's not entirely true. I think when I land, I'll be able to watch probably the second half. Get to see the cool commercials, I guess. Uh, probably as Scottsdale, but I mean, it's a it's a close one in one A, I would say, just because when I first saw the live schedule that they were going to be in Las Vegas, the week of the Super Bowl, I kind of rolled my eyes along with a lot of folks simply because it didn't make a lot of sense. The Super Bowl has a tendency to suck all of the air out of the room. And if what you're trying to do is garner attention, which is what I would think live golf is trying to do. I wouldn't think the Super Bowl in Las Vegas would be the place to do that. That being said, I was talking with a, a writer from San Francisco last week when I was at Pebble beach, who's, who was going to the Super Bowl, obviously Ron Krojcik. Yes. And he was telling me that he was probably going to go out to the live event on Thursday and or Friday. And he goes, because I didn't realize this, I've never covered the Super Bowl, but he said there, there aren't any press conferences for the Super Bowl on Friday. Like they're done by essentially Wednesday. And so he goes, I'm going to be there anyway. There's not going to be any Super Bowl stuff for me to write. So if they get that sort of, I don't even know what you would call it, sort of carryover attention, I think it's probably a good move. I still think you're logistically, you put such a burden on the entire tour, your entire traveling circus. But if you if you can capitalize at all on the extravaganza that is the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, then it's probably a good move. Yeah, it's a little bit of a strange strategy when you look at the first two events that Liv has rolled out. Last week in Mayakoba, it was directly conflicting with the PGA Tour's uh, signature event at Pebble Beach, a $20 million purse. Uh, obviously, that worked out well for Liv, and we'll get out. We'll get to that uh, in a minute because of the, the Sunday washout, no football. Uh, they basically had the sports calendar to themselves. And now the PJ Tour's biggest party going on in Phoenix, the biggest event in all of sports, an event that obviously draws uh, 100 million uh, eyeballs on Sunday. Although it's not going head-to-head, you are at least dividing some of the attention in the exact same city. For me, at least this week, Rex, I, I, I'm pre- I would say predominantly focused on Phoenix. A lot of talk about the quality of winners thus far on the PGA Tour. Wyndham Clark is actually the only player ranked inside the top 50 uh, who has gotten a W uh, on tour this year. The chances are are pretty good that that's going to change this week. Scotty Scheffler going for the three-peat. Uh, Justin Thomas, uh, a great course fit. Uh, obviously, he he appears to be well on his way uh, to, re- to return to the form that he's shown over the past decade, not necessarily that he showed in 2023. You also have Sam Burns, Max Homa, Jordan Spieth, in the field, two players we do not have in the field, Victor Hovland and Xander Schauffele. Uh, Victor has been a slow start to 2024 for the Fast Cup champion, uh, and Xander Schauffele uh, is is nursing a little bit of a wrist issue. Personally, I, I, I really like this event. I didn't love covering it, and you and I can go through uh, our experiences Why? with that. So. Why? So it's, it's, it's funny. So I, I, I covered it. I covered it once and I vowed I would probably never do it again. And yet on the other side of the coin, 
if my golf friends tell me, like I, I would say absolutely bucket list item, have to go at least once to see the mayhem. In a working capacity, it's it's tough. There's there's people everywhere. It's distracting. Uh, Sunday is 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 horrible because you, you want to watch the big game if you're if you're a football fan. And but yet don't you're they end early? I mean, they're over because by plenty of time for the game, right? Ends at six. Okay. It ends at six for a reason because then it's a, it's supposed to be the 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 warm up to the big game. There's almost always a playoff. It seems like, and so that's spilling over into it as well. But I do think if you're a golf fan, I wouldn't go on Sunday. I would go on Saturday and have the time of my life. I would tell every fan to go, but in a working capacity, completely stone sober, like kind of stinks, kind of stinks. Uh, I don't, I went out there once and it's been two or three years and it, it was kind of a weird deal. Cause we were actually doing golf today from the, the set on 16. And so I didn't, I didn't get that experience that you got. I didn't have to fight with crowds on Saturday and Sunday. We were out of there by Friday afternoon. Uh, I will say, and I think I've, I've mentioned this before. I understand now why game day on ESPN is such a good show week in and week out. Like, cause the formula is if you've got 30,000 people screaming at you, it's not real difficult to get worked up and to try to create good content and good TV, whatever the case may be. It was a lot of fun to be in the middle of that. That being said, I was really happy to get on the plane on Friday night and, and get out of town. And I'm sure that's the way everyone feels, whether if you are getting out of town on Friday or Sunday, just depending on how your week went, you, you're probably really, really happy to be leaving simply because I, I don't think you could do this anywhere else on tour. And I think we've talked about this before, about the idea that other tournaments have tried to replicate this. They tried to do it down in South Florida at PJ National. Often, imi- often imitated, never duplicated. And it's not. And, and I get why tournament directors would look at that and be like, yes, give me that last four-hole stretch and let me turn a golf tournament into a big party. I, I totally understand the concept. It works here for a couple of different reasons. They have cultivated this for decades. And I will give the tournament credit because my guess along the way, I can only imagine some of the awkward conversations they've had to have with the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour wanted it wanted to dial down because that's what the PGA Tour does. It's the no fun league. Sometimes they did away with the caddy races. They did. I remember one year Ryan Palmer was throwing golf balls with twenty dollar bills wrapped off, wrapped around them, and they didn't like that. And over the years, I can only imagine every every year it's just going to be a fight. The tour's going to be like, no, you can't do that. Like, no, we can't. I remember, have this I remember, on this remember, Joel, remember Joel Damon. Remember Joel Damon and, and Harry Higgs got yeah. fined for their antics on the on the 16th green a couple, couple years ago. And it's ridiculous in retrospect because now the PGA Tour will use it in, as promotional material. Now I think it's funny when I see a commercial where the PGA Tour is actually using the caddy races and <laughs> promotional material because you're like you outlawed these things because you were worried that someone was going to fall down and get hurt. And that's what I mean when I say the no fun league. I don't think any other tournament would ever go to the mat and fight probably the way like that would be the cool story. I'd like to read. Can you get on that? Because I'd love to read sort of the history of how the people's open became that outdoor cocktail party because it started pretty good, but it it got to this uh, as a sort of this wild evolution of this creature that the tour probably didn't like, but they put up with it long enough. And now they realize that we could probably make the most of it. Yeah. I think it's the 25 year anniversary of tiger's ACE. Is that right? may have that 25, 27 years, whatever the case may be. It's somewhere. 27 is not that, a that's, great anniversary. 25 is. No, it really isn't. Uh, but that's but that kind of took the the whole to another level. And 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 like there's a it's a it's a sea of humanity. And I always say, like for for 14 holes, you can go play golf in relative anonymity. 
And for the last hour, hour 15, it's just, it's just sheer mayhem. And you're just playing amid this din of, of white noise. And I, I've talked to a number of players about this. They actually prefer the setting where you, you, you do have, I think it's 20,000 people who are on the 16th. Oh, right. Like they're, they're shouting at you. They're clapping, they're booing, whatever the case may be. That is actually better and, and not as distracting as let's say you have 500 fans out there and you have two or three idiots who shout something at inopportune times and kind of the rabbit ears go up and you hear that. And that can be uh, a, a little, uh, it, that can get players a little bit miffed. This at least is just a constant drone of, of noise. It, it may be, it may be unpleasant noise. It may be, it may be booze. It may be jeers, maybe cheers, whatever the case may be, but it gets the adrenaline going, but it's not necessarily distracting. And so that's why I think you actually see players turn up again and again. We did our golf table, uh, golf today round table on Tuesday. Uh, and Eamon asked about, you know, kind of player response to this tournament. Like this is not a designated event anymore. You, you know, it's, there's no obligations for these guys to tune up. Obviously this is a busy first five, six weeks, the PGA Tour schedule, especially with Riviera on the back end of this, there's nothing keeping these guys from skipping this event, and yet they still show up. So I think that's the biggest indication at all that they like the theater. Uh, the younger players have em- embraced kind of the the party vibe and the party ethos, and they have no problem with it. Then again, I don't think it works basically any other time of year. Like you, you, you know what you're getting. Players sign up for it, and they they know exactly what they're going to get. Well, that, that's the interesting way to take this conversation, right? Because that's why if we transition now to Las Vegas and what Liv would want, they would want that every single week. In some places, it seems like they've been pretty successful at creating that. By all accounts, Adelaide last year in Australia was pretty much off the charts. Like it was this big party that, that they want. Um, I was at Miami last year. And I, I will tell you that Friday was better than Friday in, in Orlando last year. Like Friday in Orlando was kind of, hum and boring and not much to it. I think they're heading in that direction. But to your point, it's so hard to do that every single week. What they've created in Scottsdale, I I, I think you're right, often imitated, rarely duplicated, because it, you just can't overnight create this. You can build the grandstands for 20,000 people. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come. Like, I would be curious, imagine what they could do if they really wanted to at 17 at TPC Sawgrass for the Players' Championship. Like, it's already a cool vibe. Like, I think we talk about this every year, about sitting on the side of the hill for an afternoon with your buddies, having a couple beers, making some bets about who's hitting the green and who's not hitting the green. That would be fun. Imagine if they wanted to take that one to the next level. Because they could. They have the real estate. They have the interest. Like, it, they, it, it's, it's clearly, it has the potential to be the big party. They don't want it to do that. And so I, I guess my question would be, how do you take that formula? If you're either the PGA Tour or Live Golf and successfully move that from tournament to tournament to tournament, I think you're right. I don't think you can do it. I don't think most players would want to do it every single week, to be honest with you. Now, Live it Live does have a party hole this week uh, in Vegas, and they've kind of adopted that a couple of times. I, that's not, I guess, too dissimilar to what the PGA Tour does. You don't have it every single week, but you know, you think about the 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 rink hole at the Canadian Open. You have the bear trap. At the at the I guess it's now called the Cognizant Classic. Uh, you have this you know this the Snake Pit and some of the grandstands around Innisbrook as well. Like it's it's not necessarily 
the 16th hole vibe where you have 20,000 people all encased and they're making noise the entire time. But you do have a quote-unquote party hole uh, at a lot of setups. I think Liv would be actually smart to lean into that. When it comes, I think, Rex, to a, to a bigger discussion about Liv Golf, I think this is going to be a better comparison for what sort of inroads Liv Golf has made now in this John Rahm era. If you look at the TV ratings uh, from Sunday, they had significantly higher viewership for Liv Mayakoba than a year ago. And in fact, it was his largest audience yet for Liv Golf. And yet it was still just 432,000 people tuning in on the CW without any PGA Tour competition, without any football uh, this time of year. For the sake of comparison, that 432,000 for Liv, Pebble Beach got 1.9 million on Sunday for what ended up being uh, the final round of the Pebble Beach on Saturday. Uh, pro-am on, on, Saturday. on Saturday. Yeah. And so I don't think the PGA tour is yet feeling like a huge threat from live golf that they're going to be siphoning off some viewers. When it did come to a little bit of news on the live front, we, we actually neglected to talk about this in the recap pod, but right before Joaquin Neiman gave his post round interview on Sunday, the first thing out of his mouth was, but I'm not in the majors kind of, kind of woofing that, you know, he just beat John Rahm head to head. He, he just uh, beat Sergio Garcia head to head in the playoff. And yet he wasn't in the majors. Of course, that's not necessarily true. Uh, Joaquin Neiman is in uh, the open championship by virtue of his win at the Australian open. Uh, He, he, he could still receive an invitation to the masters. He's the best player from Latin America, uh, even though uh, Augusta national golf club, hasn't necessarily pandered uh, to the live folks over the past couple of years. He could still stay inside the top 100 in the world ranking. Uh, that should make him exempt for the PJ championship. Or even if he doesn't, as we saw last year with the case of Paul Casey, uh, Joaquin Neiman could still receive an invitation from the PJ folks as well. And when it comes to the U S open, if you're not inside the top 60 in the world, you can qualify just like all the other schemers and dreamers. Rex, we've talked at large and numerous times in this podcast about live qualification for majors decisions have consequences, but now the landscape has changed. Where do you fall on this? Is it fair or foul for Joaquin Neiman to be griping about his major status? Uh, well, right now it's foul simply because we, we've got some real estate. You're right. You don't know what the folks at Augusta national are going to do. They could offer him an invitation and look, they probably aren't going to do it given where we are in the game right now, but you don't know. I mean, look, I think John Rahm probably addressed this last week that his decision was based largely on the idea that winning the Masters last year sort of gave him this runway, which sort of pushed him over the top, right? Like the, the whole point of this is if you have that window where you can take the money, however much money John Rahm, because I, I hate citing those reports because I'm always dubious because someone had a reason for letting that information get out. So whatever money he took, he did it contingent on the idea that I'm qualified for the majors. I think I read that this morning through 2031, if I'm not mistaken, yep. or at least through he can play the masters forever. And so, yes, that makes the runway so much longer. That's why it was such a, a much more difficult conversation for the likes of Joaquin Neiman and Taylor Gooch and everyone else. We can have this conversation about you chose to take the money knowing that you weren't qualified for the majors. You chose to take the money with the idea that, okay, Liv Goff and Greg Norman are telling me that we're going to get world ranking points. I think everyone, who had even a modicum of interest in this story and a modicum of understanding and how this worked would have told you that, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen at least no time soon. Like maybe we get to the point 
well, you do get world ranking points, but you chose to believe that when deep down inside, you probably knew it wasn't true. So this, in my mind, is there are consequences. However much money Joaquin Neiman got paid, these are the consequences to that. Do I like the idea of someone who is clearly a top 50 player, if not a top 30 player in the world, not being in the major championships? Of course, I don't. Like we can talk ad nauseum about the idea that bringing the game back together is best for everyone involved. We have, we had this, this conversation in the post uh, pod last week, just about the idea that I don't care how they come together, but we can all agree that having half the best players in the world at Pebble and half of them in Mexico is bad for the game. Not having a player like Joaquin Neiman is bad in a major championship is bad for the game. We're going to talk about the road back to the players in, in just a minute, just, but just to button this up and and Carlos Ortiz you did not on, match my uh, energy on that at all. You you, you just totally fell flat. Yeah, no, you had no energy at all on that one. No, thank you. Uh, Colt Nost, uh, uh, Carlos Ortiz went on Colt Nost podcast and basically suggested that they were told that they'd be getting world right world ranking points. And so players of Carlos Ortiz's ilk of Joaquin Neiman's ilk, they were either clearly lied to or or misled heading into their decision. Norman told them, we, we can't suspend you. Obviously, that did not happen. Uh, they told you that you get world ranking points. Uh, that obviously has not happened. If they were naive to the inherent risks and they did not factor that into their calculation, like, I really don't feel badly for them. When it comes to players on live not receiving world ranking points, at, at, at this moment, I'm I'm kind of fine with it. Like it's a, it's a hand pick league. There's few relegation opportunities. You're playing the same limited opponents. Um, as we talked about yesterday, there's, there's kind of these two competitions at once. And I think that could have a little bit uh, with the, with the stroke play competition, the team competition. I think that could have a little bit of a bearing on what happens as well. But I, but I've said all along and I've been consistent on this. I do think that the major should be flexible and, and reward the top performers in this league, just like they do for the Japan tour, the Australasian tour. Uh, you, you, there's there's order of merits, uh, whatever the case may be on these various tours that are recognized by the OWGR. I, I think it just it just makes sense that when you know that you have world class players who have who have chosen a different route, just be a little bit flexible. I don't know if you give them five. I don't know if you give them one. I don't know if you give them three. But I would like to see some reward for the top performers at a certain cutoff uh, receive entry into the major championships. Unfortunately, at least for 2024, that doesn't appear to be the case. Uh, Fred Ridley did not change the qualification criteria for the Masters. Uh, the U.S. Open uh, and the Open Championship said to be still be reviewing it. Uh, the PGA kind of always goes unofficially with the top 100 in the world, but Seth Waugh, the CEO of the PGA of America, has been pretty outspoken against Liv. And so, unfortunately, for 2024, I don't they did invite Paul Casey right. last year, but they, but they, but they have made an exception. That's why I still, I still wouldn't rule out the possibility that Joaquin Neiman doesn't play in all four majors. It may, it may be, it may be harried. He may, he may have to go through qualifying for the U.S. Open, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that, given given Augusta Nationals' uh, uh, belief in growing the game, the Latin American Amateur Championship, which Joaquin Neiman uh, either won or he was a, a consistently high finisher at, but he always played in it. Like, he's the best player from Latin America. And if you want to uh, extend the reach of the Masters Tournament, it, it probably makes sense to give him an invitation, but it would be a stark departure from all their public statements as it relates to their position on live. 
you're kind of playing both sides on this one, aren't you? You say in one breath that yes, there should be consequences for joining Live Golf and and doing what you did because no, I'm saying clearly, no, I'm saying no, I'm saying from you're a saying world that ranking. they should be allowed back. So which which is it? No, I'm saying I'm saying from a world ranking perspective, I'm fine without with them not receiving world ranking points, but I do believe there's enough good players in this league that they should be that the majors should reward the top performers just like they do for other tours around the world. Uh, and the way you've done it, and we've talked about this before, is the easiest pathway. And I don't know what the magic number is either. Top five, top three, whatever the, the case may be. I would tend to agree with that. But again, this kind of goes against the notion that we both just made. That there needs to be consequences. And if you were a guy like Joaquin or Taylor Gooch or anyone that didn't have that runway that a John Rahm had when it came to the major championships, you probably needed to come to grips with the idea that mm, I might be done in the majors. That's why you got paid. All that money. That's why there was a premium on you signing in this league. It wasn't out of the goodness of their heart that they gave you all that money. It was because they knew you were giving something up. One other point, Rex, that you brought up a couple of minutes ago as it relates to the road back potentially for live players onto the PGA Tour if they can some if they can strike a deal with the Saudi Public Investment Fund. And on and on Tuesday in Phoenix, Justin Thomas kind of backed up what Ricky Fowler had said last week to you and others at Pebble Beach, that a handful of live players, if they were welcomed back to the PGA Tour, would make the PGA Tour better, but letting them back without punishment was not necessarily something that he was interested in. JT said, quote, I would have a hard time with it, and I think a lot of guys would have a hard time with it. Royce is bringing back. JT and Ricky say there has to be some sort of punishment. What do you think? Uh, this is probably one of the biggest sticking points in the negotiations period. Like we can, we can sort of, and we've done this before where we break down the actual details of what this potential deal between the PGA tour and the PIF might look like. This is a multi-billion dollar deal with a lot of moving parts. Very, very complicated by all accounts. The sticking point, the thing that's going to either let this happen or keep it from happening is how we create this Avenue. And I can tell you from both sides perspective, one, from the live player's perspective, they don't have a lot of interest in paying their pound of flesh. Whatever it is, they decide that's going to be. Whether that's some sort of fine, whether it's some sort of suspension, they, they don't have a lot of interest. Actually, most of them I talk to don't have a lot of interest in coming back playing a PGA Tour, full PGA John, Tour schedule. John John Rom does. He said there's a handful of events. He said this on He Tuesday said there's a handful of Vegas. events. Hand, he didn't say there's 15 events. events. Oh, yeah. He didn't say I, a full I mean, schedule. He just, yeah, there's, he, wants, he wants to pick four to six events on the yes, PJ Tour that he has on this for in addition to playing the live golf schedule. Yeah, he's not he's not looking to play 30 times a year. You're they're not going they're not going full Patrick Reed here. And and Brooks Kepka said the same thing last year. I think Dustin Johnson has said the same thing. Now, now on the other side of this, when Rory made those comments last week, I think it rippled across the tour. Like I don't know how many text messages I got from players were just wide open, you know, the the round face wide open eye emojis like well, what's happening? Like when did this become head, a thing head blown. because it's going to be a sticking point with the players and Jay Monahan and the tour have almost backed themselves into a corner by doing this the way they have done it. And he had to, after June 6th, it was going to be a rebellion. If he did not get everybody in, on the same page, he had to do the framework agreement in secrecy. He probably knew there was going to be a lot of pushback. And as a result of that, now the players have the majority voice in whichever direction the PGA tour goes. That being said, the players are not going to be happy allowing those players to come back. 
with without any kind of penance, whatever that might be. And look, we can sit here and go through one of the one, good ones I heard was don't even do a fine. Don't do a suspension. Allow them to come back and they can play as many or as few events as they like. But for every one event that they want to play, they have to add another event to their schedule that they've never played before. Whether if that's, and again, I hate picking on tournaments, but that could be the John Deere Classic, the, the Cognizant Classic, whatever the case may be, where, sure, Dustin Johnson, you can come back, but you're going to do this at the benefit of the entire tour. What about the possibility of just having them back on sponsor exemptions? They're limited to, you know, right now, a, non, a non-member gets a maximum of seven sponsor exemptions per year. I think that would satiate all of these live guys who, who kind of want to, pick and choose which ones they want. It'd be obvious if you're the PJ tour, which ones you would want the Brooks, the Bryce and the DJs, the John Rom, the Cam Smiths in those particular fields. I think that's probably a good option. That way you're not kind of opening the gateway for everybody, but basically the ones who had factored heavily in the pip over the past couple of years. Uh, and you can point to them being a uh, pretty consistent needle movers. I'm definitely torn Rex on on, on 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 what to do here and if I were a top player, what I would want. Because there are two conflicting thoughts. Because if you do want the tour to be as strong as possible, then these players do have to come back. Right. You do have to welcome them back. But the holdup is is that you don't want these players to come back who who got paid and, and come back completely scot free. You know, it, it definitely feels like there's some sort of of jealousy or bitterness, or resentment, if that were the case. That, that that these players went to live, got paid excess of $100 million. They willfully joined a tour that was designed to destroy these PJ Tour players' place of employment. Like, I, I totally get that. But, th- but the converse to that is that it's not like the PJ Tour players who stayed <laughs> have been have been impoverished by this golf civil war. Like they're playing for, for more money than they ever have before. Victor Hovland, the Fires cup champion, he made $36 million on the golf course last year. Uh, the, the players now after this new deal with the strategic sports group are now equity holders in the tour and stand to be, uh, you know, kind of stand to be made whole that way. Like I, I don't think the PGA tour players are worse off. And so part of me says, Get over it. Welcome back. If you're so determined to make this great product and obviously now with an investment group in that, you know, bring them kind of hold your nose and bring them back. But I could also see the other side that's saying like, hmm, you, you guys try to destroy us and now we're just welcome, welcoming you back. Like I don't I don't have a good feeling of that on on February 7th. Yeah, because you're really good at, at sort of dictating. Well, you just need to make this happen. And I think we can all agree. At, at this point, like it, yes, the game is going to be better off when it's united. And I, I continue to believe 100% that we will get to that point, whatever it's going to look like. But put yourself in either Jay Monaghan's shoes or Roy McIlroy's shoes, whoever is going to be making the decisions on this. You tell me how he, neg- he navigates that. Like, it's really, really hard based on what we know. I mean, you've talked to enough players, too. You know there is a level of vitriol out there among PGA Tour players who stayed loyal to the PGA Tour that you're going to have a hard time selling them on this. Now, one of the arguments that you just pointed out is that the rising tide has lifted all boats. And you can definitely see, you can make that argument. You can put it on a blackboard and be like, look, you made this much last year and it would have been this much had Liftoff not existed. Like we can quantify that. There's hurt feelings. 
there's there's sort of grievances involved here. There's friendships that aren't friendships anymore. It, it's going to be tough to navigate that. I, I wouldn't want that job at all. I mean, that's essentially going to be the toughest part of this because there is no easy answer. The rest of the things we can sit here and come up with easy answers, like how do the players remain loyal to the PGA Tour? How do they get compensated? Well, we know that now. It's called equity. And everyone's going to get their piece of the pie, whatever that might be. And, uh, you know, what is it all going to look like? Well, now we have an idea with SSG involved and if, if PIF is here and PGA Tour Entertainment and a global tour. We've talked about that before as well. The one thing we can't talk our way around or create an easy avenue to is how, what this pathway is going to look like. I wrote about this last spring. Like go back to last spring at, at the Cognizant, which was the Honda Classic then. Like that was the story I was writing then and how delicate and difficult it was going to be. We're still talking about this in circles a year later. It's not going away. And I think it's just such an interesting wrinkle now too, Rex, with with SSG coming into the fold. If if they now have the imperative to make the PGA Tour as good as possible and to now get a return on the investment, do they put their thumb on the scale and say, welcome them back? Because this is what's going to help the PGA Tour become more profitable in the future. I just think it's a very interesting wrinkle uh, to keep in mind. Sausage figure, go ahead. When Rory says what he says last week, to your point, what you just addressed, do you get the feeling that that's SSG talking? Good day. I mean, it feels like it. And look, I, we can connect dots here. And I again, I go back to the idea that like some people aren't going to. He like has a, he has a business relationship. He has with a business Fenway relationship with Fenway Sports, and that's that's who's leading the strategic sports group. And you, you can sit here and say, I, and I, I think I mentioned this last week that when when he was speaking last week, I thought he was speaking as a player, a former policy board member, whatever the case may be. As I sort of digested what he said, I think he was talking as a business person that has a financial interest and making sure that this deal comes to pass. And by this deal, I mean that PIF, SSG, and the PGA Tour all end up under the same roof, whatever that looks like. I find that fascinating. Yeah, Rory, I, I would... He's not wrong. I would say he's, would say he's but, a very good listener. You know, he, he over the past year or so, he's listened to all sides. He's listened uh, to Johan Rupert. He's listened to uh, uh, Yasser Al-Rumayn when they met uh, in Abu Dhabi a couple years ago, uh, he clearly has been a part of these board discussions over the past year. That's why he, that's why his his thinking tends to change so often because he is taking in input from all sides. I'm with you. It would not surprise me at all uh, if that's kind of the talking point in the line of thinking from your SSG folks as well. We will get answers, Rex, next week at the Genesis Invitational from Tiger Woods, perhaps the most influential board member uh on the pj tour policy board uh, we didn't mention the tweet you got to bring up the tweet or they i mean it's clearly his his new apparel line that's coming out on x formerly known as twitter uh, supposed to be unveiled on monday i would anticipate a press conference at riviera on tuesday or wednesday it'll be interesting to hear what tiger's wearing or see what tiger's wearing it'll be interesting to to hear what tiger is saying uh, in regards to the future of the PJ Tour. And it will obviously, as always, be interesting to see how he is playing uh, with the Masters now just two months away. I will be in Riviera. I'll be dusting off uh, the luggage. I've not covered a PJ Tour event uh, in, in oh so long. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting out there. You and I will be doing the podcast most likely on Monday. I'm guessing we'll let the Super Bowl breathe. We don't, we don't want to conflict with the Super Bowl. You know, we don't, we don't want to take eyeballs. We don't want to take... Uh, we don't want to take uh, listens away 
uh, from Jim Nance and Tony Roma. We know how much of a threat we could potentially pose to the broadcast. Sure, that's what it is. So we'll, we'll just we'll just give it some time to breathe, and we will go on with the recap uh, on Monday before we get out of here, Rex. Uh, I know you will not be home for the Super Bowl. Are you firing up anything on the grill at least the day before? Uh, I'm going to do something the next day or two before I get back on the road, as you pointed out. Um, won't be here Sunday, so I won't have a big day. So whatever I do is going to be boring. So I'll, I'll leave this a lot my time to you. What, what do you got planned for the big day? So uh, it's actually going to be a little bit hectic. Uh, my wife has 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 crammed uh, Super Bowl weekend schedule uh, just just to the gills. You know, we got a flag football game on Saturday. It's a birthday party. Uh, she's going to some Galentine's thing Saturday night. And then Sunday, I'm actually playing in a Super Bowl scramble uh, at Marsh Landing, my club, on Sunday morning. So that's actually going to be cutting into my barbecue time. And so I've been doing all sorts of research on kind of smoking foods ahead of time uh, and then holding them in the fridge and then kind of reheating methods. And so uh, we're, we are having a party on Sunday for the Super Bowl. It's a little bit weird with with young kids because you you really can't stay for the entire game. So it's probably just going to be a, a first half type of thing. So I'm doing uh, smoked and then fried chicken wings, which I believe we talked about in the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And for the first time, uh, I know you're a big fan of, I'm doing pork belly burnt ends. And so Ooh, I'm going to smoke them. Before? I've never done them before. Oh, wow. I'm going to smoke them. I'm going to hold them. I'm going to cube them. And then I'm going to fry them and sauce them afterward. And then I'm hoping everyone else brings other sorts of delicious things. If you have any tips, uh, share them now with the, with the people at home. Uh, I cube them beforehand, but I've seen it done both ways where you, you do them after the fact. So I cube them before I smoke them. And then uh, I think I did fry them last time. It, it creates, actually, I think my youngest son fried them uh, for the first time just because we wanted to give an idea. They are delicious. Eat, however it is you do them, they're really, really heavy. Like I discovered, it's not really a meal. It's more like an appetizer where, you know, which, you is, what, which is what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to yeah. just do finger foods. You know, you grab a couple wings, you grab a couple pork belly burn ends, you do some buffalo chicken dip, uh, whatever else uh, the, the guys bring. But yeah, you can't sit there and just put down an entire platter of them because yeah. you, you'll you need to be wheeled out of the place. Like and there's different kinds of sauces that I found. Uh, the one from Over the Fire Cooking, Derek, he, he does a really good job with his. And it's, it's again, it's kind of heavy and it's it's on the sweet side and savory side, which fits perfectly with, with that type of meat. But yeah, it's heavy, but it's delicious. Pick to win. Chiefs, Niners, who is it? Uh, pick to win. I'm going to go with the Niners, but I think that's just me wanting there to be parody in every sport. I, I just pine for parody. I don't uh, even know. I have no dog in the fight. Like, I don't really care about either one of these teams. Uh, Joe uh, Thune, the offensive lineman for the Chiefs, uh, being out with the torn pectoral muscle, I do think that is a big deal when you look at the, the playmakers that the Niners have on both sides of the ball. Uh, but I think with two weeks to prepare, I'm still going with the Chiefs. Andy Reid is an offensive genius. Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator for the, the Chiefs. Uh, Brock Purdy has started very slow. The last two games for the Niners, they've, they've escaped with wins both times, obviously. Uh, but I do think the two weeks to game plan, uh, they can put a, a clamp on them. I do think the Chiefs will win. I think the Chiefs are underdogs. I think they're two two or three-point underdogs. And Patrick Mahomes, uh, uh, on the trajectory to become the GOAT uh, in NFL history, uh, he is not an underdog by any metric. Uh, this is the podcast you wanted to do, isn't it? Like we yeah. just wasted the first 30 minutes because you finally got to the podcast that you wanted to do to give all of your Super Bowl hot takes. Uh, no, the podcast I want to do, which which we will do, 
uh, in early September is the Fantasy Football Podcast. That's where I, that's that's where I really shine after after a couple months of research. Uh, I won two championships this year. Like I'm riding high. That's all. That's all the Super Bowl takes I have. I'm actually worried about my 5 a.m. flight and making sure I can catch that on Monday morning. I was about to say you're really out of practice. Do you even know how to get to the airport? Like you're, you're yep. probably going to need a reminder. Straight shot. Straight shot. Park park on site. Jack's Airport is super easy to get out of. Uh, I do have uh, some new Gore-Tex shoes that I'll be debuting. I can talk about them on the podcast next week. I was sick of getting head colds after you know trudging around the the, the dewy grass. Uh, in the early mornings, that's particularly apparent uh, at Riviera, where the temperatures are always like upper 40s in the morning, burns off and gets you mid 60s uh, during the day. Uh, but I'm sick of having wet and cold feet. And so that will not be an issue in 2024. I look forward to showing those off uh, on next week's podcast video. All right. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Busy week in golf. That's why you can go to NBCSports.com slash golf for all the latest news notes uh, and features keep in mind uh, pj tour and live golf both start on thursday live ends on saturday phoenix open of course ends oh, on sunday great. we'll be back next week for a recap pod as well as a preview of tiger woods return to competition in 2024 at riviera we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days enjoy the golf and the super bowl